Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Dada. Isn't this the Money in the Bank edition? It is indeed, Matt Riddle, with your Money in the Bank instant reaction edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, just minutes after WWE Money in the Bank went off the air from the O2 Arena in London. And we are here to break down all of the results from the show, along with our thoughts on what is gonna happen moving forward in WWE. We're also gonna have grades for matches, grades for the show as a whole, and plenty more to come right here on today's podcast. On the way into the show, allow me to hit you with a few reminders. First, that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about Defy. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King and Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Be sure to leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, Don't forget, at least as long as you still can, to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, usually for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, polls, so you can vote and let us know what you think uh, pay-per-views and premium live events are going to be like, and then your thoughts on them at the end, your pre- and post-show polls, as they would be. And of course, to contribute and join our live shows on Twitter Spaces, we ran into a scheduling issue. We're not able to do one this week for WWE Money in the Bank, but the polls have been up and they will be mentioned at the end of the show. Of course, using Twitter today was an entire pain in the ass, but nevertheless, Vintage and the Silver King, we soldiered on and we are here for you with this Money in the Bank instant reaction. Also, don't forget, I happen to love the number five. And you can become an official getting overhead by moving to buymeacoffee.com slash getting over and for only $5 a month, you get news posts, you get bonus audio, and you get to support this show. We would love it if you supported us over at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Now, this is normally the part of the show where we both crack open a cold one, lower our shoulders a little bit, and begin your WWE Money in the Bank instant reaction. Unfortunately, Chris's refrigerator is empty, and your boy isn't feeling that well, so we decided to put the alcoholic beverages aside uh, for this particular show. And Chris, you know, it's a pretty good thing too, because it's still the early evening here in the United States, not our normal midnight 1am taping like we normally do here on the show when we do these instant reaction podcasts. Nevertheless, it's great to have you. And I'm very excited to begin breaking down WWE money in the bank. Yeah, I went to open my fridge before this and uh, no alcohol. So I'm going to have to amend that and fix that for the next show. Yeah, another one of those daytime shows. This one was tough because it despite weeks of sweltering heat actually a pretty nice day today here in texas stayed inside to watch wrestling because we wanted to deliver you guys this podcast and we watched a pretty darn good premium live event pay-per-view show so minor spoiler alert there from chris we did both obviously enjoy this edition of money in the bank and we will discuss our pre-show grades and of course our post-show grades at the end of this WWE Money in the Bank instant reaction. Chris, let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into it, and we will begin with the main event. Just a reminder for everyone who might be longtime listeners and to inform anyone who is a first-time listener, we're going to go match by match, not necessarily in the order that WWE gave them to us or the reverse order that they gave them to us. We're basically just going to break down everything that happened in the matches. We're going to give grades, our thoughts, our predictions going forward for WWE, but we're also going to discuss things that happened on the go-home SmackDown that directly 
played into Money in the Bank itself. So Chris, we are going to start with the main event of Money in the Bank, the Bloodline Civil War, the Usos against Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa. But before we get to what happened on Saturday, let's talk about what happened Friday on SmackDown. This was the main event segment. The dude, Reigns, still had three titles. Uh, He wore the only one shirt, talked his talk, saying the Usos betrayed him. But as the tribal chief, he'll give them infinite chances to repent as long as they bow down, acknowledge, and apologize. The Usos got a huge pop saying they're not trying to get back in, and the consequences of him losing will be huge. Jay said when they win, Reigns will no longer be the tribal chief, and Sokoa will be the replacement. Roman laughed, but Solo gave him a death stare. Jay then stepped to him with the ring ropes between them as Reigns lost his damn mind. Jay shoved him as a distraction for Jimmy to hop in the ring with a blindside superkick. Jay then attacked Roman one-on-one. Security entered. They got their heads kicked off. That led Reigns to get on top for a little bit, while Jay took out Reigns and Sokoa with a tope con hero to end the entire segment. Now, Reigns on his own, I thought Chris was kind of repetitive on Friday. The Usos definitely upped the ante with better mic work than last week. And then once they dropped that solo line, the rest of it was on fire. This is a legitimately complicated and deep story. And I think it's fair to say things haven't been completely smooth the last couple of weeks since Jay imploded the bloodline officially, but this totally got the job done on the Go Home Show. Good segment. First thing I noted was that Roman said, acknowledge me in more of a demanding upset way, as opposed to like the basking enjoyable way yeah. that he's been doing it for a when while. He gloats and does Little it. tweak there. Yeah. Yeah, little tweak there. Good stuff. I love the only one shirt and the 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 fight at the end was good stuff. And the Usos got generally such an upper hand in that match that I came out of the go home thinking Roman and Solo were going to win on uh, on Saturday here. Yeah, based on, you know, WWE trends historically, whoever you know stands up and comes out on top on the go home show is usually the one to lose the major match on the premium live event. I should also note really quick before we get into the match itself, if you missed the kickoff show, and I did tweet this again, if you have access to your Twitter, then try to go into our feed and watch this video. But Paul Heyman, Chris, I don't know if you even saw it. He dropped a legitimate promo of the year contender. He was crying with red eyes, saying he's never seen Reigns this crazed, and Roman was planning to go full warrior while expunging the Usos from history. He said, quote, this ain't going to be PG. This is not going to be fun to watch. Uh, Now, again, like I said, we tweeted this so you can go watch it. But Chris, I thought this was outstanding. I have not seen it and Twitter is not loading for me, so I will have to see it after the podcast. Everyone be sure to watch that whenever you actually have access to Twitter or perhaps the WWE uh, YouTube channel. Anyway, let's get to the match. And of course, did main event money in the bank. The crowd was loud for the Usos theme. Jay was screaming at Roman face to face before the bell. Reigns no sold it with a stern face. It was a great visual. Fans immediately chanted, fuck you, Roman, and tribal wanker. Reigns got a pep talk from Heyman as part of an extremely slow first half of the match. Next was a quote, uh, if you hate Roman, then stand up, chant from the crowd. Uh, Reigns sold it by sitting down on the rake apron and saying to Paul, this is the dumbest place of all time. They're a bunch of idiots. I thought it was hysterical. But anyway, getting into the match, Jay and Solo getting hot tags, picked up the pace after 19 minutes of somewhat slow action. Uh, Roman tagged blind. Jay hit Tope Suicidas through both sides of the ring before Reigns interrupted a third one with the Superman punch through the ropes, plus another one inside. As Roman did his ooh-ah thing, uh, Jimmy tagged in for a double Uso spear on Reigns as a counter to his spear. Really cool spot. 
Jimmy countered a spear with two super kicks, but Reigns caught a Nuso splash attempt with a guillotine, calling back to the Hell in a Cell win over Jay. They did the arm drop, and Jimmy kept it up, powering Roman into the corner with Jay tagging. Roman put the guillotine back on Jimmy anyway. Jimmy ran him into the referee, then super kicked him and hit 1D as the crowd chanted an entire seven count, but the referee was completely dead at ringside. Solo stopped double Uso splashes with Reigns and Sokoa hitting stereo Uranagis. Then Sokoa hit the Samoan spike on Jimmy, plus a combo Samoan spike spear on Jay, which was a really cool like tag team finisher from them. Solo dragged Jimmy mm-hmm. atop Jay and Roman covered them as the referee slowly climbed in the ring for a double false finish, 2.9 kick out. The crowd went apoplectic at this finish here, or the false finish, I should say. Uh, Reigns, so looked, Reigns looked depressed. Uh, Sokoa started attacking them, and that got Roman like back in the groove of like, okay, I got to beat the shit out of these guys. So Solo super kicked Jimmy onto the announce table and then walked the barricade only to miss a splash completely collapsing the table. Reigns and Jay exchanged super kick, Superman punch, super kick spear for another false finish with Jay doing the low blow through Roman's legs as Reigns has done so frequently as part of his kick out at the end of that sequence. Reigns then ate a shitload of super kicks plus an Uso splash from Jay for the one, two, three as Roman Reigns was pinned clean in the middle of the ring by his cousin in 32 minutes for the first time in 1,294 days. Michael Cole sold the absolute hell out of this on commentary. It was a masterful performance by all of these guys down the stretch. And yet another incredible, memorable moment in this Bloodline story. We've talked, Chris, so much about this coming full circle with Jay beating Roman. And while it may not ultimately be in the plans for him to pin him one-on-one, let alone win the titles from him, this may very well be the booking for Jay to get his moment over his cousin and doing it alongside his brother. He got the first pinfall over Reigns in nearly 1,300 days, something the best wrestlers in the company have been unable to achieve even during prior tag team competition. And let's remember, this pinfall stretch extends beyond his actual title reign. Both Jay and Jimmy achieved this, you could call it unthinkable feat, by surviving the guillotine, hitting the spear, then using the low blow kick out against him. And you want to talk continuity? My Lord, this is continuity. I kept assuming, Chris, that Solo was going to emerge from the rubble, blind tag, take the fall. Nope. They pulled the damn trigger on Roman falling and Jake taking him down. What really stood out here was how reality-based and believable it came across from like the emotion of the match to the story and them jawing back and forth to even the way it started slow and then picked up in the finish. And then you had the double stack fake false finish that played into our preconceived notions of the way matches like this end for Reigns, which is always him just dominating and coming out on top. I thought it was one of the best false finishes in a long time. And there have been some amazing false finishes recently. The crowd was on fire. They were ready to shit all over that finish and boo everyone out of the building. And that's why they were completely shocked by the kickout. I've said it once, Chris. I've said it a hundred times now on this podcast. This is absolutely, positively, without question or doubt or argument, as far as I'm concerned, the greatest storyline in the history of professional wrestling. And we'll talk in a moment about where it can go from here. But right now, dude, let's just soak this in and enjoy it. But halfway through the match, 
when a lot of those chants were going on and it, they had gotten so unique to chants over there where us, some of us Americans couldn't figure out what they were saying just because we don't know the cadence of, of various things. It actually felt like a real soccer match where there's just singing going on unrelated to what's going on uh, in the on the field of play in front of you. And I was like, man, this match, this has been a hot show. This has not been a great main event. And I'm kind of wondering if the crowd is going to take this over and just kind of right, kind of ruin whatever they were doing. Nope. The, the moment you doubt this bloodline storyline, they come back at you with a classic moment. And by the end of that match, the way everything played out, they had that crowd that was unruly in the first half of the match. They had that crowd in the palm of their hand. Tremendous storyline, callbacks, wrestling, false finishes, finishes, everything delivered on that. Absolutely tremendous. Coming in, I was like, Man, like the Usos, they're making a case for like one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Are they really going to lose to Roman and Solo? But then I thought, look, Roman, the Usos got the upper hand on Friday. Roman lost at the previous Mm pay-per-view. He's been taking L after L for the last month, essentially. And this is, I think I, I think I picked Roman and Solo because of that, that Roman would get back on top going into SummerSlam. And it didn't. Roman lost again. He's lost at two straight pay-per-views now. And uh, the Usos have, have been elevated in such a way. And to that point, to, to that finish, the way they sold Jay's win, Jay's pinning, I guess. My only thought was, this is either like the way you end it or you have to do Jay Roman at SummerSlam. It's mm-hmm. like I, I, two very different things because it, they either hyped it up as the end or hyped it up as we're about to get the next one. So I don't know where the bloodline goes from here. I don't know what they do the rest of the year. We we'll we'll talk about that next week or we'll see where we're talking about that in a moment. But we're talking about that very shortly. Yeah. So just a, a, a absolutely worthy delivering main event. Uh, when I wasn't quite sure at various points in the show if it should be because there were kind of no stakes and mm-hmm. you know there wasn't a title, there wasn't a money in the bank briefcase. Instead, it delivered as it always does. Greatest story in wrestling history. So there's a impatience from a subsection of wrestling fans when it comes to matches like this, where they believe great matches. The only way you can have a great match is a spot fest. And there's obviously different types of that, right? You can have spot fests, which are flips and and crazy moves and all that type of stuff. Your, you know, uh, Vikingo stuff and your Penta stuff and or your you know, uh, Ricochet, Young Bucks, just flips and all that, you know, Will Ospreay crazy stuff. You can also have banger spot fest like your Gunther Sheamus matches and stuff with Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns and and all these guys but you can also just have these incredible stories that play out over a period of 30 minutes and that's what happened here I'm with everyone in terms of you know five ten minutes into this match it's like okay when's this thing gonna get started but if you at the end of that match can't sit back and look and look at the entirety of it and say Oh, that's what they were doing. They were giving us a story and and the way these family members were trying to fight each other and they're not going all the way in yet, but then they eventually do and then it picks up. You get the hot tag moment. And then really once that hot tag, that's why I mentioned it in the breakdown. Once that happened 19 minutes in, the rest of that match was just an absolute banger. Um, I forgot two things in my breakdown. First, shout out to the referee who it looked to me, Chris, like he was legitimately injured 
when he got knocked out of that ring, he gutted yeah, it, he gutted it out. Too. No replacement ref, nothing. So credit to that guy. Also, I didn't give a grade on the match. Uh, I'm at 4.75 stars and an A+. I am going to rewatch it. I could definitely see an adjustment to five stars. Like between the callbacks, the psychology, the storytelling, the crowd work, the wrestling, the false finishes as part of that wrestling, the commentary, the atmosphere. This is a match of the year contender. It's not my match of the year. It's not number one. It's not a five-star match, or at least not yet, as far as my grading scale goes. Um, And I've already given some five stars and and five-star pluses this year. Um, But this is going to be up there. This may be in the finalists. It was incredible work from all four guys, incredible storytelling, whoever put the match together from an agency standpoint, probably Michael Hayes did a fantastic job. Um, and this just deserves all the praise that it is getting. Now, to the thing that you cut, mentioned. Wait, wait, two, two more notes from me sure. on the match. Go for it. One, uh, when when the Usos got the double spear and Solo broke up the pin, he timed that thing so perfectly. That was 2.999. He gets the breakup. Mm-hmm. The breakup. Roman wasn't kicking out to save him. So Solo's got that Uso family gene of the best 2.99 pin breakups uh, in, in wrestling history. He's got that. The low blow kickout was a great callback, and I was upset that Cole didn't call it at first. He didn't see it, I guess, until the replay. That's when he said, oh, then he called it back. So I'm glad that they caught that. And uh, I got to tell you while you're thinking, I didn't yeah. I didn't notice it live either. Oh, I did. Yeah, hey, I didn't notice it. I mean, because I was also taking notes and stuff, but. When I looked up and I saw the replay, I was like, oh, that's why they did that. Like, it made more sense then. Yeah. Yeah. And and to to this match's credit, along with that, there were several times in this match when I thought it was the finish Mm -hmm. and it wasn't. And that's the best feeling in the world. I'm like 4.5 on this match because the first half was a bit of a drag. Uh, But, you know, Vince McMahon always says, and and Bully Ray always quotes him and says, (laughs) for the most part, they only remember the finish. Yeah. And yeah. that's mostly true, but it's all but it's also like how you build to the finish. Sure. You know, and, and that's what this match really did. It built in the second half of that match, built and built and built and built, and then it finished. And that's that's exactly how you pace something like that. Yeah, and that's for me why initially I'm not at five. But I think anything in a quarter star either direction, four, five, four, seven, five, or five, you're not going wrong in terms of a take right on, on the quality of that match yeah. and, and the, the way it went now in terms of where this storyline goes, we're not going to spend too much time on it. You know, to your point, Chris, like we do have a lot more to talk about on the show, but there were two main points I wanted to make first is, you know, let's not forget what happened Friday night on SmackDown, which is one of the reasons I made sure to mention it before this breakdown, the whole deal with, Hey Roman, when you lose, which is what the Uso said, you're not going to be the tribal chief anymore. And shit is going to hit the fan for you. We're going to have to nominate a new tribal chief. And Soko is the right one to do it. Well, what did they do in the match? You had Reigns after that kickout, the double stack kickout. He's sitting there looking dejected. Like, what do I have to do? Can we actually overcome them? And it's Sokoa who stands up and starts beating the shit out of the Usos, telling Roman, let's keep going here. This shit's not over yet. So Sokoa remained confident. Reigns was doubting himself. Now, does that begin to create doubt from Solo that he should be aligned with this guy? Does it create doubt from Heyman as the wise man? Does he start looking towards Solo as perhaps the next tribal chief? That's one item. The other item, you have Jay pinning Roman clean. You mentioned this. Now, granted, it was in a tag team match. Are we headed for Roman against Jay for the title at SummerSlam? 
If so, Chris, do we accept that as Reigns' first defense since WrestleMania, being someone he's already fought, and the fact that there's tons of other challengers out there on SmackDown, the entire brand, sure, the entire company, I mean, but even SmackDown itself, there's tons of other challengers, people that could fight him for the title. Are we okay, potentially, with Jay being the one to challenge him at the second biggest event of the year? I think yes, because of the storyline elements, the fact that it calls back to their prior matches, and the fact that Jay just became the first person to pin him clean in nearly 1,300 days. To me, that's the match. And yeah, you could like shoehorn Bobby Lashley into it, or you could build up AJ Styles for it, or you could do whatever. But Roman Jay, for me, seems to be the clear direction, one-on-one for the title at SummerSlam. By the way, last person to pin Roman Reigns on December 15th, 2019. Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin. Correct. And mentioned that on do you know NXT who pinned him before that, too. by the way? Uh, that wasn't Xavier Woods, was it? It was. No, uh, it was uh, Eric Rowan. <laughs> oh, Those are your last two. How about that? Yeah. Eric Rowan. Eric Rowan, who's in the most recent season of I Think You Should Leave. Uh, On Netflix. Yeah. Um, so I'm torn about the J thing because it's similar to the Sammy thing where Sammy's story was not win the championship. It was figure out who his friends are and and with his friends overcome the bloodline. That's what they did at WrestleMania. Jay's story is not become the champion as much. It was standing up for himself, uh, you know, finding his place in the family and all these things. And he's kind of done that now. So, you know, unless we go back to like main event Jay so I can be the main event guy. I don't know how I feel about Roman versus Jay at SummerSlam yet. Like if they just announced it next Friday, I don't know how I'd feel. Well, we got five I, weeks. I, I kind of need to be. Yeah. I kind of need to be sold on it, and I, I trust in their ability to sell it to me. I'm just not. I didn't come out of that match thinking, oh man, I, I want to see Jay Roman. I mean, I do badly want to see Roman and Jay again. I think we're talking now two and a half years later, maybe even more. Um, then when they last fought and the emotions are different and the story is different. And I think rekindling that is fine. I think I'm more okay with it because I mean, they've, they've conditioned me to be okay with it because this guy has not had another legitimate challenger since WrestleMania. And there's no one on SmackDown right now where you look at that and you say, Oh, clearly they need to be the next ones to fight Roman. The next one to fight Roman. It almost has to be the person who pinned him now, unless they give that away on SmackDown and he defends it in like two weeks on SmackDown and then another challenger emerges for SummerSlam. Well, that's a different story. They could perhaps do something like that. Um, but given the fact that Reigns is not going to be dropping the title, you wouldn't think until WrestleMania at the earliest, I guess, is a way I can say that without you know trying to uh, drop pessimism into this entire thing. Um, because of that, it's like, why not Jay? I think Jay's probably the right story. But to your point, and this is what I was saying kind of earlier when I was doing the, the longer, longer breakdown of this match, I think... Jay pinning Roman and breaking that streak is enough to put a bow on his story in terms of coming back and embarrassing him and paying him back for the abuse that he got. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't need to beat him for the titles. He doesn't necessarily need to beat him one-on-one. I would still love for him to beat him one-on-one down the line. Maybe after Cody beats him for the titles or whoever winds up being the champion. But just the idea 
of Jay pinning Roman and it being 1,300 days nearly, that's a pretty monumental mark and something he's going to be able to hold over him for the remainder of this storyline if it goes through the year, next year, or the remainder of their careers. I mean, for the remainder of Jay's career, this is one of the biggest accomplishments he's, he's ever had, along with winning the Andre the Giant and this, I mean, as a singles wrestler. I mean, I guess technically this wasn't a singles match, but his individual accomplishments, mm-hmm. uh, this and winning that. Also, by the way, I noticed this in a clip. The first person to pin Roman Reigns in WWE. Jay Uso. Was, I'm pretty sure it was Jay. Yeah. It was. Uh, in a... 10-man tag or Survivor Series. I only saw a small clip. I wasn't quite sure what it was. But yeah, that was the first time Roman was ever pinned. Now it's the most recent time he was ever pinned. Indeed. All right, that was the main event. We have a lot more left from WWE Money in the Bank. So let's flip the card and go with the opening match on the show. Men's Money in the Bank, Ricochet, Shinsuke Nakamura, Damian Priest, LA Knight, Santos Escobar, Butch, and Logan Paul. Seven men, one match. First, we'll talk about what happened on SmackDown. We had the Grayson Waller effect with Logan. There was pretty good heat for Paul, who said his dreams won't end until he has a title around his waist. Knight quickly interrupted to a thunderous pop, uh, saying he respected Logan getting himself over on social media, but LA is the only megastar. Logan went in, saying Knight was supposed to be a manager after a 20-year career, referring back to, of course, Max Dupree. Uh, Escobar came out saying he needs the briefcase. Butch then ran down, punched Logan, and that led to a planned triple threat from last week, except it was on this week's show. Knight, Escobar, and Butch. Knight hit a really cool high lift Uranagi on Butch and jawed with Logan at ringside. Then he ducked so Escobar could nail Logan with a tope suicida. Butch then caught Santos flying and hit bitter end for the hometown win. So on the same show, and we'll talk about this more on Tuesday's WWE episode, where we'll do Fallout from SmackDown, or sorry, Fallout from Money in the Bank, plus other stuff from SmackDown and Raw, um, <laughs> they treated Ridge Holland like a jobber on the show. Meanwhile, Butch gets a big W and they're in the same group. Uh, It ended with them fighting over a ladder and Butch grabbing the briefcase. I thought it was a strong prelude to the match. And to be fair, it was better placed on the go-home show than it would have been last week. Yeah. And, you know, Butch, the local guy, gets the briefcase. You let him celebrate. All makes sense. That, I'll just say this now so I don't need to say so much after the match. That pop for LA Knight was ginormous and he knew it. And he had all the people doing his catchphrases. L.A. Knight has reached the level where people I know who casually watch wrestling or don't watch wrestling, but know I do, have started to ask me, hey, what's that L.A. Knight thing? Why is everybody saying, yeah, like this thing is getting into the mainstream a bit and clips like that going viral when they do, especially with Logan Paul. It's making a big impact. That was the second most viewed thing uh, on WWE's YouTube page from SmackDown behind the Bloodline segment. So that had a lot of heat. And it, it go, going into this show, this match was the most excited I was for any match on the card. And it was the most talked about match leading up mm-hmm. that I saw from other people. And that's a credit to LA Knight and Logan Paul and, and the way they kind of rearranged re- this which is surprising because a couple weeks ago, we thought this was a bunch of mid-level guys. And suddenly, to me, it was the most anticipated match on the card. By the way, what does it say about us as wrestling fans that the two most over catchphrases over the last decade are yes and yeah? <laughs> I mean, that's like the most basic thing that you could possibly do. And they're super freaking over. And yes, to your point, you know, LA Knight can call himself a megastar. 
the reactions he got in London this entire week, and he's gotten great reactions in America, don't get me wrong, but the reactions he got in London over the last two days, those are indeed megastar reactions. They were only matched on this show by the Usos and someone else who made a surprise appearance, two people actually, and we'll talk about that later. Let's get to the men's Money in the Bank match. Now this opened the show, Logan got beat six on one at the bell, the pops for night were sick as we just said, Butch used a cricket bat. Logan got Priest to agree to set up two tables, only for Damien to clock him after. Ricochet did an awesome tope suicida through the rungs of a ladder. Logan uh, took LA off a ladder with a Russian leg sweep. Priest set up a ladder between upturned steel steps and the ramp, but Logan wound up hitting a frog splash off the apron into the ladder, which did not break. So it came across really gnarly. A ladder also got set between an upright ladder and the middle rope. Butch got Escobar in a chokehold on it as Ricochet hit a springboard 450. He didn't wind up directly on top. And again, it didn't break, but it was a nice spot. I'd say he went halfway between landing it perfectly and sting on Wednesday. He was 50-50 right in the middle of those two. Uh, Logan hit Knight with a flying blockbuster. Escobar took Ricochet out with a phantom driver. Butch then hit a moonsault from extra tall ladder into the entire field only to get one punched by Logan. Ricochet also got KO'd by Logan. We then got a double ladder set up with Knight eating a midair hurricanrana from Escobar. Logan and Ricochet sprung clean onto the ladders before Nakamura and Escobar got tilted off one of the ladders to one side. Then Knight pushed Logan and Ricochet off the ladder to the other side, but they found the ropes. Now here at this moment, it was very difficult to determine whether they were supposed to fly over the ropes into the tables, which is the normal spot we get, or whether they were supposed to catch each other on the ropes. But they did catch each other on the ropes. And I think the plan spot was a springboard Spanish fly. So ladder into ropes, into springboard Spanish fly, outside into two tables. Instead of that, it all kind of got jumbled up because the ladder fell awkward and their legs got caught a little bit. So they did do a Spanish fly equivalent move, but it wasn't landed clean at all. And they kind of tumbled into it. And Logan Paul cut open his arm and may have dislocated his shoulder. I'm not exactly sure. Back to the match. Uh, Butch and Knight battled on top with Butch breaking LA's fingers. He was ready to do the same to Priest, but Damien pushed him off the ladder into one that was propped up in the corner. Again, a ladder did not break. That's three times in the match. Knight then hit blunt force trauma on Priest, threw Nakamura out, and was about to retrieve the briefcase when Priest threw him off the ladder with broken arrow before climbing the ladder again and grabbing the briefcase to win in 20 minutes. As I break this down, I don't believe he hit BFT on Priest. It must have been someone else. So let's ignore that. I missed who it was. Uh, but nevertheless, Priest won the briefcase in 20 minutes. So look, Chris, this was not the best Money in the Bank ladder match that we've ever seen. But I do think Creative did a good job playing with fans' emotions during it. Logan was by far yeah. the primary focus through the first 10 minutes. And the concern of him winning every time he got on the ladder was real for the fans, and they used that to play our emotions. He got hit really hard on that bump, like I said, so credit to him for going hard. Uh, Knight was involved in enough spots where fans could pop for him despite the loss, and Priest taking him down at the end was really smart to maximize the heat. How could it have been better? Uh, the ladder's breaking, for starters, would have helped. The Spanish fly being executed perfectly, that would have helped. Luckily, those guys were okay. It just didn't feel like there were big spots that you come to expect from matches like this, even though they attempted those spots. And they hit most of them, 
It's just the ladders didn't break at all. They didn't even bend. Uh, I thought Ricochet's ass would be flying all over the place in this match. Now, as far as Priest winning, extremely happy for him. You can make your arguments for Knight. I'm sure you're about to. And I get it. He's on absolute fire right now. But that's kind of one argument for why he doesn't need the briefcase. He's already super over. But as I said on the Ultimate Preview, as long as you maintain that momentum for him, maybe by strapping him up with the United States Championship, he's going to be fine. And he might even be better off because if he did win the briefcase, I kind of think he would have failed on a cash-in. Priest was one of the three guys who you and I talked about making the most sense winning this. I'm going four stars in an A-. minus Quarter point, either direction again. I can buy that totally. Yeah, so like it wasn't one of the best Money in the Bank ladder matches, but to me it was one of the most memorable, and that's because of, like you said, the emotions of the crowd, which is what I get sucked into. That Spanish fly spot, I know it wasn't what it was supposed to be. That made it even crazier to me because I could not believe they landed that as well as they did. I know I know, uh, Logan got cut, but I, I saw I them hit the that. ropes. I was like, oh, God, this is kind of awkward. Yeah. Or Logan doesn't have both of his feet over. All of a sudden, boom, <laughs> they, he pulled them and they jumped. Logan had one foot behind the rope still, and they still landed it enough that it like looked good enough. I could not believe that. Credit to both those guys because that was ridiculous. Um, L.A. Knight. They got me with that. After that, I was like, oh, man, Logan's knocked out. L.A. Knight's going to get his moment. I, I was fully bought in, and so was the crowd, and they took it away. And that's that. That's okay. That's okay. Priest winning is... um, f- It's fine. It's good. Uh, He's very talented, been doing great stuff, been in big moments, you know, done the Bad Bunny stuff. Like, you can, you can trust him there. I don't really know where he goes from here exactly just because of later matches but he's a guy who deserves this he's worked hard perfectly reasonable for the company to to, to go with him uh, i picked logan to win this i thought for sure it was gonna be logan paul um and then w- w- with la Knight, uh triple h said afterward he said i know he's a fan favorite right now and he's continuing his ascent but great things come to those who wait i think that rise is just getting started mm-hmm. so uh, just because I try to say this with, with some other things too, like with Sammy, just because they don't give you the thing you want in one moment doesn't mean they're not going to give you the thing that you want. And doesn't mean that it won't be better or as good. You know, like yes. just because same with, same we, we say this too, all the time. So, see, yeah. so many people who like review wrestling and discuss it, it's like, well, they didn't do what I wanted them to do or expected them to do. Therefore, it's bad. That's not true. Again, like if you wanted Sammy Zayn to win the championship, Fine. That's a legitimate opinion for you to have. If you wanted Cody Rhodes to win the championship at WrestleMania, that's fine. If you wanted LA Knight to win this match, that is totally fine. But that doesn't mean that what they booked was bad. It makes complete sense. They did it as part of an... We we talked about all the machinations of this match and all the different winners and why they might win and what they might do with the titles or what the briefcase in this case. Um, Briefcase in this case, nevertheless. And we mentioned there are three guys, Logan Paul, Damian Priest and LA Knight. And all three of them made sense for completely different reasons. And Priest makes a ton of sense here. He, like you said, um, has played major roles and big storylines for WWE, primarily with Bad Bunny. He's doing a great job. He's been elevated as part of Judgment Day. Judgment Day, they're not the bloodline, but they are the faction 
on Raw, and it makes sense for one of them to have the briefcase, and certainly not going to be Dominic Mysterio. Um, and there's an ongoing storyline that this plays into as well, which we will discuss coming up momentarily. Now, later in the show, Priest mentioned potentially cashing in on mid-card titles as well as the world titles in a backstage interview. He said one way or another, he will be champion. And I also forgot to mention that the Logan Ricochet spot I talked about earlier, we did discuss this on the Ultimate Preview, that may well set up a SummerSlam match between them. Now, with, hold on, with Priest getting this briefcase, Chris, to me, going into the World Heavyweight Championship match, okay, it set up three potential scenarios in my head. The first was Priest cashing in during the match, maybe taking the fall and costing Balor a title opportunity. The second was Priest cashing in against Rollins, following a retention in which Balor did all the dirty work and was angry that Priest was able to capitalize on that and win the title. Or the third was Priest cashing in after Balor had won the title, turning on his stablemate and winning the championship. The question is, did any of those three happen? We're going to find out momentarily. Before we get to that, Chris, what did you want to say? The SummerSlam point. I I came out of this, I came into this and out of this thinking that one of the biggest money matches you can book for SummerSlam is LA Knight versus Logan Paul. Those guys mm-hmm. have energy between them. Two, we got a, a Raw and a SmackDown. You've had them briefly go together on the mic and the crowd is going wild for that. Logan Paul is one of your most hated heels. LA Knight's one of your most over, not baby faces, but one of your most cheered Tweeners. guys right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, it, it, there has been enough ricochet Logan Paul that that feels like that may what be what the plan is. But I look at what LA Knight's doing right now, what Logan Paul's doing, and thinking there is so much energy and heat you could build between these two guys like if you book that match, that would be that would be like a top three match on the card in terms of people like being excited for that. So I don't know what they're going to do. I, I, I had I had theorized in my head, maybe L.A. Knight wins it. Logan wins the briefcase from him at SummerSlam or Logan Paul wins it and they, they fight for it at SummerSlam. I don't know. Obviously, they didn't win the briefcase, neither of them. But man, L.A. Knight versus Logan Paul to me would be incredible. I don't, I don't know where it's going to go. Ricochet maybe makes more sense, but oof, man, I would be up for that. It probably depends who they want to win. If they want Logan to get a win, giving him Ricochet would make sense. He can beat him. No one will really care. If they are okay yeah. with Knight beating Logan, then that's the match you book for all the reasons that you said. You have it. You couldn't get rid of it. You couldn't sell it if you wanted to. You are it. They both have it, just clearly. And... I will say Friday on SmackDown, Knight clowned Logan on the mic. I mean, it wasn't even close. And and Logan's pretty good when he has a mic by himself and he can just talk shit. But Mm -hmm. he could not hold a candle to L.A. going in a promo battle head to head. So I do agree, though. Um, If you want to put L.A. Knight in a featured spot at SummerSlam, but you don't want to put him in a title match, then Logan Paul. So I think the options are this. Uh, You do Logan Paul and Ricochet and L.A. Knight against Austin Theory or you do LA Knight against Logan Paul. And I, if I had to guess, I'd guess we get LA Knight Austin Theory and LA Knight wins the title, which is certainly not a bad thing. That'd be great. But, um, but, it, it, but man, just when, when I watched the last couple of weeks of wrestling, LA Knight, Logan Paul, like there was something there, man. And the crowd was eating it up. And I really think that would not be a bad way to go. 
So I gave you the teaser with Damian Priest now holding the Money in the Bank briefcase. Let's get to one of the titles, I guess technically one of the four titles he can cash in with, but really one of the two. The World Heavyweight Championship, Seth Rollins against Finn Balor. Now Rollins got two extended serenades. Balor focused on the ribs frequently and was up for a while until Rollins hit a buckle bomb, but Balor came right back with knees to the gut on a frog splash, plus a shotgun dropkick. They avoided each other's finishers. Rollins countered a Pele kick into a pedigree. 10 minutes into the match, Priest came down with a briefcase and kind of stalked around the ring with fans chanting, cash it in. Rollins confronted him at ringside, so Priest opened a chair and took a seat. Balor blindsided Rollins with a shotgun dropkick into the barricade and a coup de gras off the announce table and steel steps. He added a shotgun dropkick in the corner and went for coup de gras off the top rope when Priest stood up. That distracted Balor, letting Rollins avoid the finisher and hit the stomp to retain the title in 13 minutes. Balor obviously argued with Priest after the bell, screaming that he had seven years invested in this and Priest ruined it. And I just felt a whole bunch of womp womp once this ended. Like after all that fantastic build that we got over the last three weeks, not only was the match itself mediocre, and I'm saying before Priest showed up, they have him interrupt right as it was beginning to pick up steam. And then the finish comes three minutes later. If that was the midway point and they went another 10 minutes after pre showed up, even if they still did the same finish, it might have played. But it happening so quickly and that being the end of the match was a complete letdown. I also, Chris, I got to be honest, I had flashes of the rope breaking for the demon against Roman Reigns because it was the exact same corner where it happened. Mm -hmm. And as soon as Balor fell, similar to how the demon fell, I think the demon ate a spear, Balor ate a stomp, and the match was over. But unlike that match, where the hype and the buildup for that finish was astronomical, we had the spot with the demon convulsing outside the ring and being brought back to life and that whole deal where you're like, holy shit, they're actually going to do it. And there were false finishes and they really built to the end of that match. This just ended. Like Rollins winning with a single stomp after eating two coup de gras. That was really disappointing. There were no real false finishes. There was no drama to the match. And it was not only the third time on the show where we got a shorter than expected match. It was the third time on the show where a wrestler either turned on their teammate or at least created greater animosity in like a slow developing breakup with a teammate or a friend. Literally three times in one show. At least this booking was parallel to how Priest lost when he had the title match and Balor came out like from a booking standpoint, but I legitimately thought that this had like a five-star match ceiling and it might even be the best thing we got all night, but it was like 3.5 stars and a B because not only was it dispiriting, you know, I thought Balor was going to get elevated back into being a main eventer here, title or not, and it didn't happen. It's just, this should have been so much more and ultimately it wasn't. It was instead a storyline device for Judgment Day divisiveness. And with this being the only world title that was defended on the show and the only men's singles title, I guess, other than the Intercontinental Championship on the show. So one of four, there were two of four titles defended. The other two weren't. And this one ended this quickly. I just thought, Chris, that this was a perfect booking for a raw main event, not a world heavyweight championship match on a PLE. Yeah, no, it was boring. And, and like you said, they decided to go with the Judgment Day divisiveness story at the end instead of the Finn getting back to this moment story, which was the way more interesting story. 
Now, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Do you have Peacock Premium? I have Peacock Premium Plus. So, okay. so you, The one without so ads. The one where you get no ad. Correct. Okay. Was there... A, so, several matches on this card, they, I think, skipped over the match promo video mm-hmm. to give us commercials instead. Was there a promo video before this match? And was it any good? There was an intro video to this match. Let me first note that Priest's backstage segment, I believe, came before this match. But then they did an intro video for it. It was not as great as Balor's individual video package that we got from Monday Night on Raw, but it was still very good. Okay, because I didn't see it, and I'm sure a lot of us didn't see it, and that was really disappointing because what was most interesting about this was that backstory, what we got from Finn on Monday about getting back to this moment. So it's disappointing to not get that. And then to have basically a pretty boring match with a boring finish was uh, a letdown. I don't have much to say other than no, like, yeah. I had to take I had to take a while back that like Finn is a very talented wrestler, but his matches aren't all that interesting to me. And this kind of came back here and at WrestleMania. And my last thought is unrelated. Seth wrestling with that Kinezo tape looked so weird. And this comes down the heels of like Kenny Omega doing something similar in the past, having that tape and stuff like that. And if it's like for a real injury, I get it. But this was for a fake injury. And if it's for a fake injury, can we just go back to wrapping the ribs like Diamond Dallas Page back in the day? Like that looks like that looks more kind of what you're trying to tell the story as opposed to this awkward looking tape on a side. I know that's not I know people don't wrap the ribs anymore, but wrestling wise, like it just felt like it would have looked better than 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 that little thing there. I could be wrong, but I think Rollins wrapped his ribs against Braun Breaker. So I, I think he did do that. Um, you're right. Yep. But you're, you're right. right. Like the, I didn't mind the tape so much, but it was so thick. Like it was uh, like usually it's thinner type of tape and they make it into like a pattern. So it makes sense. This was just like a mm-hmm. it was like a hashtag on his body. It was so weird. It was like a tally. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 tally marks. Yeah. It was just so strange the way it looked. But I guess got to tell you, like there were a number of matches, number of matches on the show that were disappointing from a length perspective. There was no match on the show that disappointed me more from an actual quality standpoint than this. And I say that both in terms of the wrestling and the booking to to what you said about Balor. He is absolutely capable of wrestling top quality matches. As I just mentioned, that Demon Reigns match was incredible. Even with that finish, that was an absolute banger match. However, his booking, it just remains absolute dog shit. It's like one step forward, two steps back. They just refuse to buy into him. I'm not saying you had to put the title on him, but there was no reason for this match to be 13 minutes. I know other things happened on the show that took time and it did go way, way over three hours. I think it went like 345 by the time it was over. But if you want to cut time, man, cut it out of like Cody Rhodes and Dominic Mysterio. You don't cut it out of your world heavyweight championship. This never hit third gear. It was super disappointing. And man, they just, they have done better. We've seen them wrestle better. um, And this should have been better. And for this to not even do like the buckle bomb into the barricade spot outside or some other callbacks they could have done, I was just massively disappointed by this. I still gave it a B because it wasn't bad, but the expectations were sky high. Now, expectations here, I won't say were sky high, though the women involved are spectacular in their own right. The women's money in the bank match, we had Becky Lynch, Zoe Stark, Trish Stratus, Bailey, Eosky, and Zelina Vega. 
On SmackDown, Bailey and Shotzi fought in that match with Bailey's Money in the Bank spot on the line. This was pushed from last week, but at least they did a full recap on Friday to remind viewers of the story. Bailey got the Hey Baby chance, as is tradition in London. She caught Shotzi running inside for Bailey to belly. Shotzi hit sliced bread out of the corner, but EO saved Bailey, putting her foot on the rope. That distraction let Bailey rake her eyes and hit Rose Plant for the win in three minutes and 30 seconds. Now, normally the time would have automatically frustrated me here. They actually got a nice amount of work in, and Shotzi was able to show out a little bit. Plus, the act- the story actually continued backstage with Shotzi attacking the heels only to get beat down with Bailey chopping off a huge chunk of her hair. So it got the job done, especially with EO helping Bailey, which I thought might be a prelude to Saturday's match. Yeah, it was fine, kind of random, whatever. Bailey used the green hair to talk about money in the bank. It was it was whatever. Not much time. All right. So in terms of the Money in the Bank match, uh, Trish did this really weird flip onto a ladder for no reason early. Uh, Zoe actively helped her try to win. This was sloppy for probably four or five minutes. Then everything changed. Uh, Bailey hit an elbow off a ladder onto Becky. Io's extra tall ladder got dragged into a corner, so she climbed to the top for a huge moonsault. After fighting, Trish and Becky worked together to kill Zelina with a double powerbomb off a ladder. Damage control set a ladder between an opened one and the middle rope. Trish put Bailey into it with satisfaction. Then she and Zoe got a handcuff on Becky, but they weren't able to hook it onto anything. So it was on one of her arms and the other part was dangling. Then an extra long ladder wound up between the ring apron and the announce table with Becky hitting manhandle slam into Trish. And then she ate a blockbuster off the apron from Zoe. Zelina beat Zoe with a chancleta, then hit code red off the top of the ladder on Zoe into the elevated ladder, which again did not break. I don't think there was a single ladder break in both matches, despite maybe six to eight total moves. At least some of them were meant to break the ladders. It was an absolute sick spot that we got here, though. Go ahead. Yeah, to be fair, that spot, the ladder's not going to break. It's on the rope, so that one was okay. Yeah, right, for sure. Um, EO got inches away from the briefcase, only for Bailey to push her ladder over, which obviously screwed her directly. Becky took Bailey off the top of a ladder, hooking the open part of a handcuff into her mouth. Then as they were kind of tussling on the middle rungs, EO came out of nowhere, handcuffed them together so neither of them could continue climbing and reach the top. Then she literally climbed over Bailey's back in true poetic fashion, straddling the top of the ladder to grab the briefcase in about 18 minutes and 30 seconds or so. And Chris, this was fucking phenomenal. Like, yeah, okay, it started clunky for a couple minutes, but the spots that we got in this match were fantastic. The women worked their asses off. We got storyline continuation with Becky, Trish, and Zoe. We got long-term storytelling with Becky and Bailey costing each other the briefcase, letting their past hurt their present and their future. We got the extended suspense of how exactly the handcuffs would come into play. Zelina got her featured moment. Trish busted her ass and kept up with all the younger women. And then the finish incredibly creative, incredibly poetic. EO literally had to climb over the back of her quote unquote friend and teammate (laughs) who's been holding her down to achieve one of the highlight moments of her entire career. And she came across as a brilliant baby face while doing it. Bailey has no reason to be angry at all because she tilted the ladder, but one would presume this leads to their eventual breakup. Now, I'm not sure I can praise this anymore. It wasn't perfect. And a couple more spots might have elevated it into like A-plus territory, but I'm really not sure they could have done better with the match layout or the booking they were given. 4.5 stars and an A. This was the match of the night, 
until the main event. Yeah, man, this thing was a banger. And even if it was clunky at the beginning, they were going all out in a way that the men weren't as much as we talked about. The spots in this one were bigger and frankly more violent, which was uh, mm-hmm. just a, a lot. Becky dressed up obviously as um I couldn't tell if it was Phoenix or Rogue from X Men. It's neither debate going on. It's neither. Apparently, it's some like Irish mutant or something from it. I didn't because there was people also mentioned Banshee and Siren, and I was looking them up, and I was I couldn't make one or the other, but I guess one of them being Irish would make sense. But it was a good look. Um, Trish is forty seven. It's wild, dude. Killing it out there. She is. I, it's almost like a cliche to say, but legitimately, I think this is the best work of her career. It is in part because she's now working in a generation with wrestlers who can do that as well. And I think that just, that helps everything. Um, Zoe Stark took some big spots. Uh, the, 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 the handcuff spot. When, when they didn't handcuff her to the rope, I was like, she's going to get handcuffed to somebody. Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking maybe Bailey and, Maybe Bailey and Becky are handcuffed. I thought she was going to handcuff herself. I thought she was going to handcuff herself to Trish and like prevent Trish from getting up and pull her down or something like that. Yeah, I was thinking, yeah, it could have been something like that. And then so I'd forgotten about it. And then to do it like that, that was a great finish. Um, I I wrote in my notes when when EO fell off the ladder and hit the rope, she did it perfectly. We don't, we rarely see that anymore where you fall off the ladder and you kind of snap back after hitting the rope and she, she nailed that. The ladder is not breaking. You've said it a million times. Big problem. I don't know if they were just ladders, worked ladders in England or, or what, but uh, got to get that fixed. It's also the reason I generally don't like seeing moves on ladders because it's too painful. I like seeing moves done through tables because it sounds better. It looks better. It's generally safer. The ladder stuff is a lot, and I hope everybody's okay after taking all those hits. Last thing I'll say on this. Samantha Irvin, our girl, fan of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, totally botched the beginning of the introduction of this match. Did she? She said, representing Judgment Day. Oh, and say damage control. Yeah. Gotcha. I didn't <laughs> even hear that. Judgment Day. So, uh, uh, but uh, just wanted to point that out. But she's great. Obviously, does a great job. Just brain fart there. Happens to all of us. But awesome match. We I think we both picked EO to win. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. Everybody involved. I just one of the best women's money in the bank matches that I think we've ever had. I I think it might have been the best. It was definitely top two. There's no question about that. By the way, one other thing on the back end, um, you know, I saw with L.A. Knight not winning. People were tweeting, oh, WWE never gives us the winners that we want. It's ridiculous. First of all, EO won. We wanted her. Liv Morgan won last year. We Mm -hmm. wanted her. Biggie won two years ago. We wanted him like. Okay, they're not going to do it every single time. Like, okay, LA Knight didn't win. I'm sorry. Like, stop crying about it. You know what I mean? The guy's going to be fine. He's super over. They're not going to look at someone that's that over and just like throw him away with the bathwater. Yeah. Okay. I'll say about LA Knight, it's clear they know what they have with him right now. What they've said on uh, what Triple H said after the show, they're put they're putting him on social media all the time from this thing. He did a ton of interviews telling his story. Like Michael Cole called him. He's the champion of the people here right now. Like they know they've got something. This, this isn't a Daniel Bryan. We're trying to keep him down situation. He's going to be okay. That's why I was okay with him not winning. Let's also not forget, by the way, before we move on 11 months ago, maybe 10 EO was basically done with WWE. No plans to call her up from NXT contract was on its last legs. And ever since triple H got the book, 
She returned at SummerSlam in a big faction moment, group moment. She got an epic reaction in a title match in Puerto Rico. And then she won Ms. Money in the Bank. One of the greatest in the world finally being booked like one of the greatest in the world. You absolutely love to see that. And yes, Chris, as you pointed out on the Ultimate Preview, EO Sky will at least be the second longest reigning Ms. Money in the Bank in history. Uh, Intercontinental Championship, Gunther against Matt Riddle. Riddle sold the ankle early and often with Gunther removing tape from it at one point while attacking it. Gunther kicked out of a floating bro and just murdered Riddle with a chop so hard he just collapsed on the canvas. Uh, Riddle caught a splash in a triangle, but Gunther lifted him into a powerbomb, converted into a half crab. Gunther then grabbed his ankle and chopped the ankle with his hand and then put Riddle in an Achilles ankle lock uh, for the submission and title retention in nine minutes. Now, moments after the bell, Drew McIntyre returned to a massive pop and anyone who is a member over at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, you knew something like that was coming soon. Uh, he went face to face with Gunther eating a Glasgow kiss and Claymore as the fans went absolutely wild for Drew. Now, this match was great. Okay, don't get me wrong. But eight, nine minutes when it should have been 18 or 19, even with what transpired after, that shit was disappointing for me. It was way too short knowing what these guys can do when they get run. I talked about this on the Ultimate Preview. If you have never seen Gunther and Riddle fight, like they have evolved matches that you can find on Peacock. They are incredible together. And we got a taste of that here. We just didn't get the entire meal. We got the appetizer, the amuse-bouche version. Uh, the chopping of Riddle's ankle, making it so prone that he quickly tapped out in an ankle lock. I thought that was super inventive and smart. So I'm going to give it a little bit of extra credit. 3.75 stars B plus for the sprint at four slabs of beef. Chris, what are your thoughts on this match before we talk about the return? I, I give it a B. It, it, similar to Finn Seth, it never hit that top level just because of the time, basically. I have not seen Gunther in Riddle before. You, you and other people have said they've got great matches. Even Michael Cole said it mm -hmm. during the introduction of the match that they've wrestled in other promotions before. So I, I have nothing. I can't compare them. It was okay. And like, as I finally started to get into it, it was over. And so I was like, all right, I, you know, obviously the show went long anyway. They had to cut some time for stuff, but, but that was disappointing. I did love that Cole mentioned that Gunther has never lost a singles match since being called up. I did not realize that. Mm -hmm. um, that's something they should be promoting as long as his title reign. I mean, similar to Roman Reigns, as they did going 1900 something days without getting pinned. He's he's individually he's never lost like he's it's not quite a Goldberg thing exactly. But tell me how many wins he's at. I'd love to know that. Like, that's a great stat that they pulled out. I know they don't always do that. So it's great when they did hype that stat up even more. That just only adds to his uh, mystique. Yeah, undoubtedly, they should definitely talk about that more. I think the title reign is what they're trying to focus on versus the unbeaten streak. But no, it's it's one and the same, really, at this point, because he did win that title, not immediately after getting called up, but pretty soon after. So it is kind of close together. Now, moving on to McIntyre's return, that was straight fire, a perfectly executed babyface return. I did expect him back as a heel. I was told he was coming back as a heel. The question is whether Drew re-signed. Now, Triple H did address this at the post-show press conference. He basically said, hey, look, 75% of what's reported out there, we laugh about backstage because it's just not true. He's like... Drew likes it here. We like Drew. He's in our plans, so on and so forth. Now, that doesn't necessarily say that McIntyre re-signed. 
um, you know, the report is that he just wanted more money and perhaps he still wants more money, but they're just in the midst of negotiations. Nevertheless, McIntyre's back, okay? And you have to imagine this is going to be the SummerSlam match. And if that's the case, Chris, Gunther is going to be at 420 days as of SummerSlam. If they change the title there, that would leave him second all-time 34 days shy of Honky Tonk Man. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, McIntyre has long been the second best option to dethrone Gunther. Sheamus, number one, McIntyre, number two. Mm -hmm. This all came together quite well. I just don't think you put McIntyre in this spot if A, you're not re-signing him or he's not already re-signed, or B, if he's not going to beat Gunther because if he doesn't, I don't really know who else would be that person. Well, it would be Sheamus at some point. They've just moved away that, from it, though, completely. And I think they're on different right, brands now, too. You do a trade, you do something. I, I don't know. With, with Drew, Triple H also said at the press conference, if there were any issues with Drew, that's news to me. And Wade Barrett, after Drew showed up, said he mentioned the speculation over his future. So acknowledging that, to me, sounds like he's probably going to be around or they're just confident that it's going to get worked out. They're close enough, whatever the case might be. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we'll see bringing drew back in jeans and a tank top was a <laughs> great call. As a, I say this every time, as opposed to doing his ring gear, he looks more intimidating in street clothes. going to look good, but she's got me saying, Hey, now. sorry. How to do that to you. Go ahead. This is going to be an absolute banger match, presumably at SummerSlam. And yeah, does Drew win or not? I don't know. It's it's kind of just comes down to, do you want Gunther to have the record or no? I mean, that IC title record has been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's part of lore. And it's, I mean, it's about the only thing the Hockey Talk man is kind of has to his credit at this point is to have that record. Is Gunther the guy the company is ready to have be that guy? The guy who is reaches a, a legend type of mark mm -hmm. similar as they did with Roman. Um, I don't know, but they've gone this far. So you kind of figure if they're going this far, they're going to do it. So we'll see. But my thought is if you change it, if you have drew win, you have Seamus beat drew at SummerSlam for it, which would be a, a cool moment. You have Seamus beat drew at WrestleMania but, for it. Yes. Because it's the only belt Sheamus hasn't won. They yeah. didn't go back to that story. I we we long thought it'd be Sheamus Gunther here with Sheamus winning. Obviously not the case yeah. now or moving forward. So yeah, they, they'd have to do that at WrestleMania again. Different brands. How do you make that happen? Maybe you figure out a way. Maybe you use Elimination Chamber for number one contendership. There's different things that you can do. Um, yeah, I mean, I really thought Sheamus doing it was the move. But Drew is, like I said, he's a close second. And if they really do believe in him as a big time babyface, I mean, let's not forget, dude, he was planned and he still did do it. It was just in a pandemic in front of nobody. But he went over Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. Like he was, he won Royal Rumble and they put him over Lesnar. So if the guy that beat Lesnar can beat Gunther. That's totally legitimate. And when you have two guys like this. <laughs> big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> <laughs> you know you're going to get a big meaty match and and this is a five-star ceiling it is uh for SummerSlam. This is going to be huge and it'll be really interesting to see what they do from a booking perspective. And we got five more weeks to discuss it. Yeah.
And if Gunther wins at SummerSlam, he's got to be retaining until WrestleMania then, right? I uh, mean, at, then you'd be blown at, at least Royal Rumble. Don't forget Royal Rumble's a big show too. Yeah. People kind of assume if yeah. someone retains yeah. at SummerSlam, they just keep it to Mania. They make changes at Royal Rumble. They do frequently. All right, let's move to Cody Rhodes against Dominic Mysterio. So Michael Cole on SmackDown called this the main event match. And he lo- he lauded like how loudly the cheers are lauded, how loudly the cheers are going to be for Cody and how loud the boos are going to be for Dom. I mean, yeah, like we all knew that to be true, but in no way does that, was- that make this a main event match, particularly not over the bloodline or the world heavyweight championship. I, I-, I found that really confusing on Friday. People freaked out about that. They went nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody was saying, what? Cody Dominic is the main event? I was like, look, it's not going to be the main event. It was not going to be the end Never. of the show. This goes back to the definition we have of what main event is or isn't. So I know everybody freaked out about that. There was zero chance this was going to end the show. But they didn't even they promote this it. show, Chris, as like a triple main event or anything. They just they didn't even promote a main I event. I know. So it was weird that he I said know, it. But like common, oh. common sense told you this was not going to be the main event. Yeah, it was super, super odd. Anyway, the match. Uh, the UK fans were so good, they actually knew the second verse to Kingdom, which I don't even know. So credit to them. Uh, <laughs> they also chanted, oh, Dom is a wanker, which was very good. Uh, shout out to you, players. Uh, Cody ripped off the cast after a minute. Rhea confronted him, leading to an attempted removal of a turnbuckle pad. That was a distraction. So Cody could take a facial into the steel steps and get thrown into the post. Rhodes ultimately hit disaster kick on the Cody Cutter plus crossroads for the squeaky clean win without any false finishes or anything in eight minutes. Now, unlike the prior matches that I was pissed off about the short time runs, this didn't need to be any longer if the booking was going to be Cody winning without interference or post-match attack. My biggest issue was Rhodes ripping off the cast. You save (laughs) that for the presumptive rubber match against Lesnar. You get in the ring, the bell rings, and... Then Cody pulls it off and the crowd has a moment. Oh, they gasp. Oh my God. And he starts attacking Lesnar. He throws it at Lesnar. And it's a big shocking moment that gets you really hot before the bell. Doing it here, they just completely wasted it. Also, this guy has miraculous recovery time from broken, broken bones. He must have been following Hulk Hogan's uh, you know, deal in the 80s, drinking his milk, eating his vitamins. Regardless, the match was mediocre. It was a raw match on a premium live event. Three stars, B minus. Yeah, well, not only that, it was almost like, Early on, and like during the match, that he took it off, and right Cole away, had to explain everything. Like, hi, yeah. like it's it's like they forgot. It's almost like they forgot it at the beginning because it was that week or whatever where he didn't have anything on, and we we mentioned it. Then he came back with the cast, and I was like, good, they're acknowledging it. He should, and I said he should just have the cast on for a long, long time, like DDP's rib tape. Um, but you're right. If you're going to have it, make it a moment. <laughs> have it be, oh, I'm healed. He's going to have a match with Lesnar, presumably at SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. Use it in that buildup or something like that. So that was very surprising. Um, also, Rhea Ripley. I don't know if you saw some of the social media posts from the house shows I did. before this. She she came out at one of the shows with Dom dressed up like John Lennon. Mm-hmm with the glasses and the hat and she nailed that look. It was an incredible look. I thought she was going to come out with it again. Instead, she had her hair done up in a really interesting way, which looked really cool. So she's not on the card, but she just like kind of like shined, which is really cool. It made everything feel bigger. Uh, That was great. Cody Rhodes coming out. I was terrified. Well, first off, earlier in the show, we got the London World Order shirt, which is insane. (laughs) If you think about it for like, 
two seconds with <laughs> world history and the way yes. everything England has done in the world. Correct. A lot of blowback to that. Also, Santos was wearing it and it says London World Order. Anyway, so I was worried we were going to get Cody coming out as the British Nightmare. Oh, no, he would never do that. So he comes out American Nightmare, red, white and blue flag. I was like, OK, we're good. And then he turns around and there's a British flag on there. I was like, oh, my God, this is it was like a little thing. It annoyed me or whatever. I was like, it's dumb, but it's not like a big thing, whatever. And then in the match, Cole says, Cody is the British nightmare, at least to Dominic tonight. And I was like, oh, my God. I just, I rolled my eyes so, <laughs> so, so hard at that. But uh, right length, right winner, I guess. I mean, I picked Dom to win. Um, he only he only had one crossroads to win. And so I, I come out of this thinking, is Cody Rhodes facing adversity or not? Like we thought the reason he lost at WrestleMania was that he was going to have to come back from something. Well, he more did. Well, hold on, hold on. In WWE. The adversity he faced was number one, losing at Mania. Number two, getting his arm broken. And number three, losing to Lesnar. So he's already faced it. It's not even a couple months since Mania. What else do you want him to he, do? But he but he beat but he beat Lesnar first first of all yeah and second Happens the broken though. arm broken arm didn't cost him at all he fought with it and then just kept fighting well like, that's the problem so he like never, he, he, the, he's not he's not been down yet the broken and arm cost him like, against Lesnar cuz he lost in the Camerlock cuz he passed out from the pain that was part of that but you're right the fact that yeah. he never stopped wrestling this is what we we talked about this on the podcast for however many weeks now the fact it's one thing if you're like okay you're getting me so pissed off that I'm going to fight you on the premium live event, cast or no cast. But he's been fighting every week on TV with it. And it's just like, they didn't do a good job selling the injury. It's a broken arm. It wasn't yeah. a hairline fracture. It was a broken arm, they said. I forgot the, the term that Cole used, but I Googled it when he said it, and it was a three-month injury, and he never stopped wrestling. He Cody said the press conference, too. He said he has a task both behind the scenes and on camera, and I think I think he's just alluding to like, making sure he is the guy and he's yeah. like John Cena told the big him, like face. you yeah. don't have to have the belt to be the champion. Just look at the numbers. The numbers will tell you. And obviously we know Cody's boosting numbers for TV and house shows and everything like that. So it's like, it's, it's, it's going on. I'm just, I keep thinking like, I keep coming back to the decision for Cody not to win. And has it made any difference? Like, like, is he, coming at it in a different way now because he lost to Roman Reigns. No, he followed up the loss to Roman Reigns by beating Brock Lesnar and not missing any time with a broken arm. Like, I just, I wonder, you know, when, when, when John Cena beat The Rock the second time, they told you a story of John Cena, you know, had a, the worst year of his life, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't actually true because what did John Cena do the pay-per-view after he lost to The Rock the first time? He beat Brock Lesnar and then he was <laughs> in the main event the rest of the year, even if he didn't have the title. And it feels like they're running that same thing again. And we're going to come around to Brody, uh, Cody Roman at WrestleMania 40 and they're going to say Cody has come back from this moment and had to face adversity and all this stuff. And he barely has. Let me say and this. And I just... I just wonder if, if anything's going to change. This is kind of a little like, I'm just, I'm not trying to criticize you too much, but like it's a little bit of like IWC pessimism. We're nine months away from WrestleMania. We have no idea what's in store for Cody. He may lose to Lesnar at SummerSlam. And then what are you going to say? Then he's it, one yeah. and two against Lesnar and, and then he's facing adversity. Like 
you know, you can't put the cart before the right. horse a little bit yeah. too much. If, if this was, uh, hold on, if this was Vince McMahon booking the, yeah. booking everything, and we whether he has his talons involved in this or not, you know, who knows or how much or whatever. It, but as of right now, let's just remember, okay, who has the book? I am the game, Jr. There is nobody that eats, sleeps, or breathes this business more than me. And look, we may still disagree with some of his booking. We may not like some of his booking. But what it has done to this point is made sense. And you can go back to the Roman Reigns thing right now. It's like, could he be doing the storyline that he's doing right now if he had lost the title? Yes, he could. Okay. However, we don't know what the plans are over the next nine months. And those most likely, now that he's gotten past this part of the family storyline, those are most likely going to include the title. Could Cody Rhodes have done the storyline he's doing right now as champion? The actual answer is no because he would have lost the title to Lesnar mm. and people would have cried he, that he only held the title for two months before losing it. You, But you could have had Brock DQ finish that. But I'm saying the story that they're telling though. Winning. I'm saying the story that they're telling though. So all, my only point is like, it's okay to look ahead and say, you know, this may not be going on the trajectory that we wanted to, but we have enough um, evidence at this point. We have enough data uh, through however many months of Triple H having the book, 10 months, you know, having him having the majority of the book to say, hey, even when things don't seem to be going the way we expect or when things change and we're like, that doesn't make any sense why it would change. It's not that infrequent. In fact, it's, it is frequent that a week, two weeks, three weeks later, we go, oh, that's why they did that. And an example of that, we're not jumping yet. So I want to, if you have anything else to say, I want to let you in. But an example of that is the last match that we're going to talk about on this breakdown. My large, my larger point is that the biggest moment of the year, WrestleMania main event, you didn't give the people what they wanted, and you had nothing that has happened since has indicated to me that they made the right call because almost everything could have played out exactly the way it has, the same way through now, three months. I do try, yes. I do. There, there's a lot of year left, plus early next year. I do trust them to get us there. I just think it's fair to say to this point. Oh yeah, it is that that decision that 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 decision that they made at WrestleMania has not yet been backed up. Well, and that's I, the frustrating part. I would say the decision at WrestleMania has not yet proven to be the correct one. Not yet. Yes, but yes. it all but it also hasn't proven yes. to be a terrible one either, because the trajectories that we have of the guy with the title reigns and the guy without it, Cody, Cody has not lost his team as the top babyface in the company. Reigns has not Correct. lost his aura as the dominant champion and the stories that they've been able to tell with Roman, despite him keeping the titles, both with still Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens to some degree, but then also Jimmy and Jay and, and breaking up the bloodline. We've talked about this over you know weeks and months now. Um, they've still been telling compelling stuff with Reigns and they've still been booking Cody, even though we think it's a little bit of eye roll, super Cena type of booking with Cody. They're still doing a great job. They're still bringing in plenty of audience. The ratings have maintained um, the, their high mm -hmm. trajectory, the, things, the way things have been going. So again, you can disagree with it. And this is what I said earlier in the show, Chris. You can disagree with their decision to not have Cody beat Roman, just like you can disagree with the decision to not have Sammy beat Roman or any other decision in the history of professional wrestling. But you can't fully evaluate it. And we said this on our instant reaction to WrestleMania. 
We cannot fully evaluate this decision until we see the end of the reign and the end of the story. And coming out of tonight, again, what Cody did tonight, it was meaningless. It was beating Dom. It didn't really matter. But the bloodline story, could it have happened without him as champion? It absolutely could have. But with him being champion and with him having not been pinned, Chris, in 1,294 days, Jay pinning him would not have meant as much as it did without Reigns getting pinned previously. I agree. It's just going to be crazy to go from WrestleMania to SummerSlam between title defense. I think that's the most Insane. ridiculous part of the entire thing. I think if you wanted to have these big non-title matches on shows, that's fine. Reigns should have defended the title at least once, if not twice on television. Agree. All right. Uh, now, we had a surprise return after this Cody-Dominic match, not in the post-match necessarily, but the following segment. John Cena came in and ran out to the ring. The ovation for Cena was insane with London fans not doing the Cena sucks stuff, but singing the lyrics to My Time Is Now. And I don't know when the last time is I heard someone actually sing, a crowd sing the lyrics to that song. Uh, Cena came out, he said, it is crazy that it took WWE 20 years to hold a premium live event in London. No shit. Uh, but it's on the decision makers, not the wrestlers, because the wrestlers have always wanted it. So then the fans booed those behind the scenes. Uh, as Cena put over the crowd saying, they don't try to take over the show. They are the show. These fans, Chris, were going fucking wild. They chanted one more match. Cena said he was there because the fans earned his respect. And then he got a huge thank you, Cena chant. Then he said, I'm here trying to bring WrestleMania to London. And they went absolutely nuclear. One of the loudest single pops I think I've ever heard. That, Sami Zayn turning. I mean, it, it was insane. If you watch that back, the way that crowd perks up is ridiculous. Then Grayson Waller comes out to big time heat and shut the fuck up chance. Waller shits on England. He laughed at the idea of Mania in London instead, obviously, suggesting they put it in Australia, which would never happen. Uh, Waller talked about Cena losing to The Fiend and Austin Theory. Then it got heated with Waller hitting Cena from behind. And then as he celebrated that beatdown, Cena just lifted him straight up off the canvas for an AA to end the segment. This was insane, okay? Whether WrestleMania in London is a response to all in at Wembley Stadium or not, number one, who cares? But it's certainly not impossible. That That's exactly what's happening here. You cannot dangle WrestleMania in London out there and not deliver. So I have to assume they're gonna do 41 or 42 in London. And that is wild, okay? This was a stellar segment. It made sense why a couple matches were short to give this time. Still no excuse for Rollins Balor, but if you shortened the IC title match and Cody Dom to do this, that's okay. Waller did a great job in an extremely tough promo battle and Cena was on his game here, even though he was more a hype man than anything else. But this was truly a memorable moment. Man, I had so many thoughts on this. First off, WrestleMania in London. I have like th three thoughts. One, how do you tease it and not then do it? They have to like do you it. said. Yeah. Does that does that mean they're getting people ready and they're going to announce it after WrestleMania 40 in Philadelphia? Or was this kind of a shot at all in with all in coming up next month, I think, mm -hmm. uh, to get people more excited for that instead of the wrestling show that is coming to Wembley. And then my third thought was mm. was this a way to was this a statement toward like 
regulators and in, in, in people in England and London about giving tax breaks or whatever, bigger tax breaks to WWE to get them to bring it to Right, because they do a bid system. W- WWE does. Right. Yes. And, they, not, they, and there actually are bids now. Like Cody even said mm-hmm. in his press conference, it's true. there didn't used to really be bids, but there are bids now. And so was that WWE just putting pressure on the city or whoever to put forth a bid that's worth doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We don't know. So it, but you're right. That place went nuts for it. And WrestleMania in London, I think is totally doable. Totally. Uh, it's on the weekend. It's two days. It's, it's midday, early afternoon type stuff. Like it's, it's, um, today was great. Also, Three it's o'clock still, start. It was fantastic. Al- you also wouldn't go up against the final four if you did that, which is the case now. Uh, with, with the way they do it. So it, I think it's certainly possible. So those are my thoughts on London. Mm-hmm. Did, did you have any other thoughts on London before I get into Grayson No, Hall? go do the rest of your stuff. Yeah. This was the Grayson Waller I've been waiting for. Absolutely. This is the guy that when I saw in NXT that I think is a star. It's the Grayson Waller who's in the ring doing a promo with somebody, not the guy who's sitting behind the desk and doing his talk show. He's way better at this way better when he can move and react and do these kinds of things instead of being stuck in a chair those boos and cheers and wanker chants against him he powered through them in a way that finn balor couldn't with the seth rollins singing a few weeks ago he handled that masterfully on a stage like that with john cena he looked like a star and i loved that he took a cheap shot on john cena got a couple of punches in mm-hmm. before he got AA'd because there's so many times John Cena beats Eric Rowan in 10 seconds or whatever, WrestleMania 32, where John Cena just clowns on somebody. This guy got some shots in and he reacted to the crowd in ways when they called him a wanker. He says, trust me, I don't need to. Like, I <laughs> love this. I thought Grayson Waller was incredible here and I was incredibly disappointed to hear that he's going to have edge on the Grayson Waller effect I know. next week. No, I want this guy in the ring with a mic walking around, not sitting behind a desk. So uh, it was good to see that he shined in this moment. Yeah, you nailed it. And I'm glad you said all that. That's the difference between doing a segment like this and what we've been getting with Waller, which I've been complaining about on SmackDown every week, which is hosting the Grayson Waller effect. He asks two questions, doesn't really get involved, and other people just talk. And you're like, well, what's the point? We saw him get physical. We saw him actually go toe-to-toe with someone like John Cena. And now I would not necessarily be surprised if Edge coming on the Grayson Waller effect may even lead to them fighting at SummerSlam. Like they're putting him, they put him in a huge spot right here. And Grayson Waller, let's also note, guy's not getting any younger. For him to just get called up from NXT to the main roster, and he's still relatively new to wrestling too. You kind of want to strike while the iron. Yeah, sorry, 33 years old. Right, you want to strike while the iron's hot with him and get him going. And putting him in a program with Edge right away, that may be the move. So we'll see what actually happens Friday, but you made a great point. This was the proper usage of Grayson Waller. And for him to excel almost to a Miz-like level, and I don't mean to make that comparison, like to denigrate anyone or say that he's as good as him or not as good or whatever the case, but to even be in the same like breath as Miz, because that's the type of job he did here at a big show. And they trusted him to do it. That does say a lot about him and what WWE thinks about him. 
Uh, speaking of non-wrestling segments, one more, then we'll get to the last match. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn were interviewed in a suite before the main event. The crowd was hot for them. Sami said, tonight Roman's going to get what's coming to him. Obviously, that ended up being correct. It was just good to get them on the show for a moment. But it was kind of obvious where it was like, man, they probably should have had a match on the show. Yeah, but I, you know, they had the big match on SmackDown, which we'll talk about on the Tuesday show. Mm-hmm. It felt like to me like, these guys are so crazy over. They were big on SmackDown. Let's just give them another reason for the crowd to cheer them. And that's fine. And look, the, the show is long. You know, everything they had on the show largely made sense. You know, it was all right. But it was good, good, to have a, good to have them in that moment. Now, the last match that we'll talk about from the card, the Women's Tag Team Championship, Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler defending against Raquel Rodriguez and Liv Morgan. So Liv came out in Union Jack gear. She looked really cool. Uh, Raquel threw her clean out of the ring into the champions, and then Baszler stomped Morgan's injured shoulder. Rodriguez powerbombed Rousey off the ropes. Liv took a double submission with an armbar and ankle lock simultaneously, but Raquel saved her. Rousey ran Rodriguez into the post as Baszler countered Oblivion with a German suplex and locked in her Carafuda clutch, which Liv escaped. Ronda was all set to pounce on Liv after tagging in, when suddenly Shayna attacks her from behind mid-match puts her to sleep in the Kurafuda clutch to a huge pop. Liv sits there. She's in complete shock. Ronda looks devastated. The faces then did a double tag with Raquel hitting the Tahana bomb and setting Ronda up for oblivion with Liv getting the one, two, three as they regained the women's tag team titles after nine minutes. And by the way, Chris, this was the third time in her career that Liv Morgan has pinned Ronda Rousey. Okay, (laughs) let's make that very clear. That is crazy. And you want to talk about a total and utter shocker, even if you predicted the faces coming out on top, which good for you if you did, I'm going to call you a liar. Shayna turning on Ronda without any buildup whatsoever was just stunning to me. It is so rare that you get a legitimately genuine surprise in wrestling. And this was absolutely one of them. I mean, if they had gotten in a disagreement during the match, okay. But this was just completely out of nowhere. Nothing led to this in storyline. Now, in reality, perhaps we're going to learn about an extenuating circumstance, such as an injury to one of them. And if so, these titles remain absolutely cursed. Not only that, this is the breakup of another women's tag team. And it comes just months after they hot-shotted the SmackDown women's title onto Charlotte Flair because Rousey wanted to work in the tag team division. Then she got hurt. Then Shayna got hurt. The whole thing's been a mess. So look, if there was no extenuating circumstance here, I actually disagree with the title change, given how crazy the entire division has felt. And as I've noted in the news post over at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, the plan for months has been for Rousey and Baszler to defend the titles in NXT along with all three brands. But look, sometimes plans just change. And perhaps the idea is to go Rousey Baszler at SummerSlam in the fight pit or something like that. I'd think they would save something like that for WrestleMania. Also interesting here is that Baszler was portrayed as the heel, but obviously got cheered, and I would not be surprised if that continues once they get to America. So I'm going to go 3.25 stars and a B because the work was strong, but it wasn't long enough, and the booking was all more story-focused. All of that said, I'm certainly happy for Raquel and Liv being on top again, and now, this is what I was talking about earlier, The change in focus for Raquel going from staring down Rhea Ripley one week to then deciding to challenge for the tag team titles again with Liv returning. Now that makes sense. I just want to know why. 
I want to know why this was the decision, why this happened. It feels to me like there's something else we don't know, which was the catalyst for this going down this way. Major caveat there. If there was some injury or some other circumstance that had that had, this had to happen, ignore everything else. Right. First off, shout out Ronda Rousey wearing the Majin symbol from Dragon Ball Z on her forehead. I popped for that. She's a big Dragon Ball Z fan. Other than that, like that decision was baffling. Like you said, there's been no nothing in storyline to allude to it. They had a title match two weeks ago. Like if Shayna like wanted to hurt Ronda Rousey, she could have done it there. So they're going to have to explain this because this is one of the more this is one of the more stunning turns or breakups we've had in a long time. That's not necessarily a good thing, though. We'll see what the resolution is. Right. Very surprised if 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 it is, we just wanted to do Shayna versus Ronda at SummerSlam. Like, come on, man! Like, you're sacrificing these tag team titles for 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 that again. I, I was excited no, again, sacrificing the tag team titles or the champions for a single storyline, yeah. using them as a device for a single storyline. I was excited about Shane and Ronda being the women's tag team champs. We wanted that back WrestleMania and stuff before then, and it, it couldn't happen. And then it finally happens. And now it's gone like that. Just brutal for everything. Those belts have gone through it. We all felt like, man, this is going to be it. This is going to be uh, a long title reign. We're going to establish these things and boom, we're, we're, we're not going to right. just baffling unless there's something we don't know. Also, Meltzer replied to somebody on Twitter who posted that the odds for this mm -hmm. had Raquel and Liv, at least of, I think this morning, like minus 11,000 to win. So somebody got tipped off about this Must at have, some yeah. point. I didn't see that. Um, I'm glad I didn't see that. And yeah, I didn't either until afterward. And that also furthers uh, the argument that uh, WWE should not be able to be bet on on sportsbooks. Well, we always <laughs> I'm knew sure that. This yeah. will be used against that if, yeah. if that happens, if the company is still trying to do that or not. But um, yeah, really stunning. I, we'll have to see what the reason is. All right. Well, that was our WWE Money in the Bank instant reaction. So, Chris, let's get to the last part of the show, which is our grades. And let's kick that off by reminding everyone what our pre show expectation grades were. First, from the Ultimate Preview Podcast, you and I were in complete alignment. We thought this was going to be an A- show. Our listeners were able to vote in our pre-show poll. Now, granted, only one-third of our normal vote count uh, came through on this poll because of all the Twitter issues, the rate limits, all the bullshit that happened on Saturday. But the percentages came in, 47% A, 48% B, 5% C, 0% D to F. That averaged out to 89.2, which is an extremely high B+ but not all the way there, 0.03 away uh, from an A minus, basically, round, rounding up to a 90. So they were at B plus, we were at A minus, extremely close. Chris, when we do the post-show grades, as always, you get to go first. So what was your final grade for WWE Money in the Bank? I'm sticking with A minus. You know, coming out of it at the very end with the way the show ended, I was thinking, man, am I going to have another A rated show here? And then as I thought back, I looked at the card, as we talked about it, just too many matches on this card that either weren't long enough or weren't what we had hoped for, for me to give this an A. Mm -hmm. But it's an A minus with several big time moments. We have the Jey Uso pin. We have, 
EO winning a great Money in the Bank match. We have several awesome spots in the men's Money in the Bank match. Um, A minus, just real solid, like 92 out of 100 A minus. So should I, what do you think I should do? I always struggle whether I should give my grade first or I should have the listeners uh, grade explained. What do you think uh, the proper format is here? Let's go with the listeners. All right, so let's go to the listeners first. 69% said this was an A, 27.6% said a B, 2.1% C, 1.4% D to F. And what did you say? 92 out of 100. That averages out to 92.4%, which again, 0.01 away from averaging up to a 93, which would have been a flat A instead. It is indeed an A minus. And we had three quarters of our normal vote allotment for the post-show poll, so better than the pre-show, but still Twitter, of course, having its issues. As far as my grade, look, there were seven matches on this card. I would say two of them were legitimately great, and five were varying levels of good, from extremely good to good enough. Nothing was bad, though. There were no notable weak spots. But show grades are not only based on match quality. We had the John Cena return, the Drew McIntyre return, Roman Reigns being pinned. And I do have to give extra credit to two Money in the Bank winners with zero cash-ins. Though, to be fair, one of the teases did somewhat ruin the match I was most anticipating coming in. So I definitely think this was not a flat A and certainly not an A-plus show. Uh, But it was far better than a B. So I'm right in line with everyone else. And I am going to lean at a minus, I actually had 91 out of 100, so slightly lower uh, than the rest of you. But I, I think that is the right grade. When you sit down and watch a show and then you finish it and you think to yourself, how worthwhile was my time? Like, was it spent well? And the answer here was a resounding yes. Like, I'm glad I watched the show. I'm glad I watched it live. And the two key matches that delivered, the women's money in the bank, I think not only elevated EO Sky, it elevated the entire division and the bloodline civil war for being a main event spot, obviously a non-title match, Reigns not defending the title. You have to say, well, if you're not going to have that undisputed title on the line for all these months between WrestleMania and SummerSlam, what you give us from that champion needs to be worthwhile. And they absolutely blew the doors off. So Chris, I'm right along with you and the listeners, A minus, you're at 92, they're at 92.4, I'm at 91 all very similar. Do you have any final thoughts as we wrap up this WWE Money in the Bank instant reaction? My first thought is that so a stretch of so many international shows this year, Mm -hmm. like four out of five, I think, and they all delivered. They've put a lot of pressure on WWE fans in the United States to deliver when they come to their town. I'm going to be at SummerSlam. I have high expectations. We're going to have to deliver as a crowd. That's my first thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Triple H said this was the highest grossing arena show they've ever done. Yesterday, Friday was the highest grossing SmackDown they've ever done. That's what he said. He pointed out to say, hey, our international shows have done great this year. That's historically not always the case. That's why we're considering WrestleMania in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, this got me more excited for All In at Wembley Stadium when AEW and everybody else goes there because you're going to get a British crowd, a British stadium show, which they have, I get an English stadium show that they have not had right. since I think SummerSlam 
92 Classic and Castle first time ever seeing this brand product and the wrestlers in this type of format. Yes. They've never seen them before. So it's the first time they're ever going over there. Yes. And they've, they, they've sold at least 60,000 tickets last I heard a while back. So that is going to be a wild scene. So this WWE show got me even more excited for that AEW show. Yeah, undoubtedly. And I think it's fair to credit WWE for doing an incredible job with these international shows. And you're right. Look, the, there have been, there was a period of time where WWE was doing 12 to 14 back then called pay-per-views a year and they were scatter them. And sometimes you'd get one in like Hartford, Connecticut and, and no offense to any of these cities I'm about to name. I'm just saying, but you'd get one in Hartford, Connecticut or, you know, give me another uh, uh, Ames, Iowa or like wherever. Right. But here are the cities that the next three WWE uh, main roster premium live event shows are happening through the end of the year. Detroit, Pittsburgh, Indianapolis. Those are major cities. They're going all in, no pun intended, uh, with those you know, shows, with the crowds, and they're trying to make every premium live event a big deal, which is something that for years, we on this show and prior shows I've been on talked about how many of these events just felt like throwaways, like B shows. There may mm-hmm. be a differentiator between you know, the super shows, let's say, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Royal Rumble, but I don't feel like some of these other ones are B-shows anymore. They're just premium live events, and they feel premium. They feel important. And this was a fantastic show. Money in the Bank is an elevated one anyway. It's the tier top of the tier two, let's say. They tried to make it a big five that never really worked. But if they do this and they you know, move it around the world uh, you know, the month before SummerSlam, that's going to work for them. They do SummerSlam in the United States. They do Money in the Bank, Germany, France. London, you know, wherever they want to go, Australia, uh, they're going to have a chance to succeed. So uh, you killed it with the international shows. There's still one more to come before the end of the year. The crown jewel or whatever it's going to be called, uh, Blood Money in the Sand, probably in November. Uh, But yeah, it's going to be a pretty banger remainder of 2023. This company is hot right now. It really is. I mean, even even SmackDown ratings were really high and it was a tape delayed show like you look at what they're doing with these shows. Every every single pay-per-view this year has felt like a big deal. None of them have felt like filler. Um, ratings are up. Stories are good. Wrestling's good. Like This company is really on fire right now. And that's exciting, especially considering where we were when we started this podcast. You know, not only is WWE on fire, I would say, and maybe this contention is incorrect. I don't think it is. I think it's 100% accurate. I would say the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is on fire as well. We are pumping out shows. Our numbers are going up and you guys are an incredible listening audience. We love you all so much. So let me remind you what's coming up here on Getting Over. We'll be back on Tuesday with our next WWE show, Fallout from Money in the Bank, along with everything else that happened on SmackDown that we did not already discuss today. And of course, the Raw after Money in the Bank, all of that coming on Tuesday. Wednesday, we'll be back with our next NXT episode. And then Thursday, our weekly AEW episode. On the way out, a few reminders first that this podcast is all about Defy. So remember to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Also leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, assuming Twitter still exists by the time you listen to this instant reaction, or perhaps at some point next week at this rate. Who the hell knows? But nevertheless, we do episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all that. You get to vote in the polls that we mentioned on this show, and you get to join us again if the 
property still exists for live shows on Twitter spaces ahead of premium live events and pay-per-views. Also, please remember, I happen to love the number five. And you heard it mentioned a few times on today's show. For only $5 a month, you can join us over at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. That five bucks helps support the show, myself and Vintage. But even beyond that, you get news posts and bonus audio exclusive to buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. I hope you enjoy it, Chris. I appreciate you once again joining me for an instant reaction. This time, of course, for WWE Money in the Bank. Thanks to all of you out there for listening. It is starting to get late on Saturday night. So it is time for, on behalf of Vintage, the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now. Thank you.